and welcome to an awful lot of running, the unofficial official Doctor Who podcast. All the way. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> there we have got it in this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you want to mix things up, but you know, we got a, you know, I feel like I feel like we committed to that now. You know. <laughs> I, I'm more than happy with doing that every time because I'm. <laughs> I'm really stoked for this episode and what we have planned. Ah, I am as well, yes, okay. And uh, this is uh, obviously a Doctor Who podcast in which we discuss all the amazing things about this IP that we love um, and also other geeky things that we uh, quite enjoy. I am one part of your hosting team, Jack, a husband, father, geek, teacher, everything under the sun, apparently. And as always, I am joined by published author. Go get his book on Amazon Prime now. Another stuff. <laughs> Robin Fowl. I really appreciate you shitting me like that, but you know I'm not going to turn away from sales either. <laughs> it's so good. I own the physical copy and the Kindle copy. <laughs> I I feel like I need to be the one who's actually um, oh, what's the word for it? Like um, pub publishing this or um, ah, sponsor sponsors the word I'm a writer and I can't even remember words folks this... <laughs> <laughs> we were having a discussion just before this uh, guys that we were saying if uh, if Robin was a hero in uh, My Hero Academia his work or if he was an X-Man and his mutant power would be being able to just forget shit <laughs> oh my god I've the worst short term memory it's, it's awful my my girlfriend describes it as an amazing short-term memory, which, how she puts up with it sometimes, I do not know. Wow. But... You, you, know what your, you know what your name would be if you were an X-Man, don't you, if you had that power? Goldfish. Oh. I mean, everyone else would probably remember that except for me. Um, although that... it does have yeah. the benefit <laughs> of I can now watch stuff and basically be completely new to it oh yeah i mean i think we can all do that i think we can you know there's a there's a way that you can sort of will yourself to forget stuff i mean i i told you before i had the end of mandalorian series 2 spoiled for me but then i managed to forget it so that when i saw it i was completely surprised and then i looked back at my messages and i was like oh i did see that i did know that oh that's weird but Ah, you know. oh, see, I'm the exact opposite. I'll forget all the crucial stuff I need to remember, but if I get spoiled something, that is ingrained in my head. So it could be a year later or something, and I'll be finally catching up with it, and I'll be like, oh yeah, I had this spoiled for me last year. Great. <laughs> Flips table. <laughs> I know, it's like the reverse version of my quirk. was like, you'll forget everything. Except for things that really annoy you. It's like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I just have this image now of you, like, having something spoiled from, like... I'm going to pick... So I'm just looking at my bookshelf now. But I'm going to say Game of Thrones. And you're just like... You know, you're catching up. You get to... You know, and then, and then you, and then, but it's like, it's something that happens in like, say, series six. And so you don't watch the rubbish to the last series. 
Yeah, just the less said about that. Let's move on for Game of Thrones. Um, I'm going to quote someone quickly, I am Robin, before we get into our discussion today. Uh, One of my favourite podcasts that I listen to quite regularly is called Films to be Buried With, which is hosted by a comedian, actor, writer uh, called Brett Goldstein, who actually appeared in an episode of Doctor Who. Uh, which I don't think you won't have seen it yet because it was in series eleven. He appears. Oh, in I the, probably haven't. Then. No, he appears in the Saranga conundrum, and actually, he's in a film with Jodie Whittaker, obviously the current Doctor, called Adult Life Skills, I believe, which apparently is very good. But he does a podcast called Films to Be Buried with People, and currently he's been starting things off by saying, "So," and I'm going to say it to you now, Robin. So, Robin, how is your pandemic treating you? <laughs> I that is. One way of putting it, um, I've been very good. This week, I have been engaged in two different properties. Um, the first one, where whereas Jack here is the Uber Doctor Who fan, I am the Uber Persona fan. Um, a series of video games, as well as anime and other media, which I find it just be absolutely amazing. Um, Jack, I believe you've not played any series. Have you? I have not. No, I. You were. Uh, you tried to get me into it uh, back when we were doing theatre together. But the oh, issue yeah. was that I only had a GameCube and then a Wii. I was very much a Nintendo boy. I think I had an Xbox 360 as well. But obviously, Persona has, for the most part, the main series games have been sort of PlayStation exclusives, haven't they? Mm, so, yeah. And like, I think I picked up Persona for arena or something because just because i was like oh this is a cool fighter and i was like i have no idea who these characters are and it's anime but it looks really cool i mean the visuals for that game are amazing and to anyone listening to this who has a playstation 5 and has yet or sorry playstation 4 even and hasn't played persona do so like the stories the characters like they are just some best that I've ever come across. Oh, they just need to bring, they need to bring Persona Five to the Switch for me. Like that's if they do that because it's the one I'm the most interested in, to be honest. Because, I mean, to be honest, what got me into it was seeing that Joker was in Smash, and I was like, Oh my god, I that, and that lost reveal, it. I like, I, I, I didn't even know Persona, but I somehow knew Joker, and I was like, Oh my god, because with that one, it felt like anything was possible for. That was the so best first reveal right? for a new mm. DLC character. Like, I was half asleep, um, and I just woke up to all my friends messaging me, being like, hey, Persona fanboy, check this out. Like, uh. <laughs> and I was just, like, screaming happily I was first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we also have C from Minecraft now. Hmm. Yeah, um, I've never actually played Minecraft. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, it looks cool. They have an educational package that you're using schools now, which is very cool. I think that's yeah, brilliant, that's awesome. You know, which is really cool. Uh, they even have it uh, for free through because uh, uh, I teach in Wales uh, for everyone. They have it free on us in an educational website called Hub, and uh, you mm-hmm. can use Minecraft uh, Educational Edition and. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, be that able to use, really awesome. be able to use. I mean, there's there's a really good way to be able to engage with students right there by being like, okay, children, today you're making a Minecraft world. <laughs> what? Sorry, what the what? 
Kids, kids, just put down your fidget spinners and play the game, will you? <laughs> fidget spinners, oh my god. I remember the first time, I remember to the day, the first time I ever saw a fidget spinner. I walked into a classroom, and, I, and a few of them had them in there, and it was just before the, the craze had peaked. And I just went, what's that? They're like, oh, it's a fidget spinner. And I was like, yeah, no. Put, put, that, put that away. No. Just No. And of course, I was like, I, I sort of had this premonition of it being like, oh no, this is where it, this is going to be a thing, isn't it? Yeah. This is going to be a mm. terrible thing. And then that year, the the things were fidget spinner, dabbing, and <laughs> uh, bottle flipping, and they were the three big things. Luckily, there's not been something as nasty as that. I say nasty, but there's been nothing as annoying as that since because I could deal with flossing I could deal with that when that was the thing I, I'm sorry Jack I thought you were about to say that there's been nothing as annoying in that, as that in 2020 and I was like um oh no in terms of the classroom <laughs> don't mean that, you know. no they just say everyone's sus now uh, when you're in a classroom so mm. it's just like oh okay um but yes I've been playing Sonify Strikers sequel to it which is just absolutely amazing the visuals the story continue to be great the combat's awesome um i will very much like jack's trying to get me to be a doctor who mega fan again i will eventually get him to be a persona fan and you know what i'm all for it i really want to i i it was one of those ones like i know i want to play persona 5 because especially because i've heard i was like oh i could watch the anime because i know there's a persona 5 anime out but then i heard people being like no if you want to experience it you should really just play the game and so i'm waiting for that you know, to be able to do that, really, is the thing. It, it really is. And um, during the very first lockdown that we had, they did a revamped version of Five called Royal. And mm. what was brilliant about that was not only did they, like, make it even better than the previous incarnation, which was already awesome, but by this point, um, I'd come back from my trip to Tokyo the year before, and so I was now able to see and we visit all these places I've been to, which during a time of lockdown, being able to revisit my most favourite holiday I've ever had and go to Shibuya Station and all these iconic locations, just like, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was talking to my friend earlier today about like, oh God, you know, I just miss bookstores. And I imagine oh, it's the same yeah. sort of thing for you there. It's just like, and then in my head, I started playing The Greatest Show, and I was like, and we will come back home, and we will come back home, home again. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Jack singing chops for you, folks. Yeah, I'm um, surprised we made it to the third episode before we... <laughs> well, we, we both have a musical background, and unfortunately, life has a way of stopping us from being able to do that nowadays. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw you in Jesus Christ Superstar. Wow, I mean, what bright idea did I have to be like, hey, the first musical I'm going to ever do, Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Oh, this is a walk opera. I have to sing every single line. <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> you were very uh, good in it, man, to be fair uh, to you. You're thank you. I, I, I was bricking it a bit, but it was Wait. good fun. <laughs> Um, well, you, you had to watch me uh, subject everyone to my terrible Birmingham accent, you know, <laughs> as, uh, as the Earth woman changed the giant peach and having to sing in that as well, which was 
that was that was interesting you know you, you say subject but that was the best worst permanent accent <laughs> i felt like i was like you know what if i'm going to do this i'm going to make it the best worst so i appreciate that <laughs> Uh, and the other thing that I've been up, up to, which is partly Jack's way of getting me into Doctor Who, I've been watching the DVD he sent me of Doctor Who, Remembrance of Daleks. Oh, I love it so much. And, yeah, really, really good. It's my first time ever watching it. And, like, Peter... Sorry, Celeste McCoy, not Peter McCoy, um really good really like him as a doctor the way he um pronounces certain words and like his energy with things it's it's a really good fun watch and ace is a kick-ass companion Mm -hmm. absolutely you can probably see why she's my favorite uh you know well after seeing her in just these four episodes of her she blows up a dalek with a rocket launcher and beat and it, ones up with a, with a baseball bat as well which is amazing <laughs> i know i know and funny enough obviously you know we were talking about dalek in our first episode uh, mm. you know from series one of uh new who that's remembrance of the daleks is the first time you ever saw one fly up a flight of stairs before i never knew they did that um before the new series of doctor who I, I bet thought that, I Dalek bet that was, was the very first was, episode. Was that a big moment for you, like, seeing that? Yeah, because <laughs> I saw the staircase and I was like, quick, run up the stairs, they can't get us from there. And I was like, <laughs> oh my god, they can actually float in this as well. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, <laughs> That's a, I don't know if that's a joke anyone will get. Does anyone watch Family Guy anymore? I, I, yeah, I, 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 I Oh. Uh, but no, it was really solid. I mean, I will admit, um, going from New Who to Old Who, I did unintentionally laugh at a few moments. Of course, that's going to happen with what it is, you know. But I think I would say Remembrance of the Daleks is probably one of those episodes or stories that you could give to a New Who fan just to sort of tantalise their interest in the. Uh, you know, in terms of the um, of the classic series, and I'm really I'm really glad that you said that you enjoyed Sylvester McCoy because he's become one of my favourite Doctors, and uh, I really love what he does with the character, and especially in because that's the first episode of season twenty five, I believe, which is like their anniversary season, uh, and it's that's 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 why regarded as like the twenty fifth anniversary story because it's set. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's- that's insane. I know, right? Yeah, and uh, so of, I mean, twenty fifth of classic Who. Obviously, it's not twenty five years of a Sylvester McCoy, which would be awesome. But <laughs> but he's you know he's very much a darker Doctor and a much more sort of calculated and Machiavellian figure, which is yeah. really cool. And I think you could you could kind of see um, aspects of that in Matt Smith's Eleventh Doctor, and I know that especially that Matt Smith and Sylvester McCoy were very inspired by Patrick Troughton's Doctor. But in terms of the, like, the dark planner, like, you know, this cosmic chess master, that's what I really love with the Doctor, is seeing that aspect of being, you know, you know, ten steps ahead of his opponents or setting things up. Which, he you know, really was, because I could definitely get that sense of this darker Doctor in it, because... Mm-hmm. 
he just really played those dialects. I really liked that. Instead of the doctor having to be the one working around someone else's plans, it was quite refreshing to see him set up mm-hmm. the uh, plot. Um, and my only um, experience with him before this particular actor was actually through uh, the fantastic retrospective series on YouTube by Clever Dick Films. In particular, I believe that his name is Thomas White. Um, he's, if you haven't watched this stuff before, folks, do so. Oh, they absolutely. are just fantastic, and he's just released the most recent video based on David Tennant, which I'm definitely looking forward to watching. I'm so glad you brought it out, because I wanted to talk about that as well, because I think mm. it's, i got to say, I think it's the best Doctor Who documentary that's ever been made, and I really think that the BBC should be hiring him and making him do some actual, you know, work for them in terms of, you know, chronicling this stuff, and like you say, it's an amazing retrospective for just, not just fans of Doctor Who, but of old who or new who but just fans in general and wanting to understand the history and even like how a tv show is made you know because he really delves into quite a lot of interesting stuff that's sort of behind the scenes of not just being like oh and of course the fifth doctor faced the uh, cybermen in this story and faced the daleks in this story he talks much more about like the production team and uh, the actors themselves and about certainly their decisions for taking on the role which is fascinating Oh, definitely. And for me as a casual fan of Doctor Who, before I really looked into what Doctors were like, I just thought that they were all playing the exact same character in the exact same way. But of course that is complete opposite. They each have their own little quirks and their own mannerisms. And that's why you have all these generations looking towards, this is my Doctor, you know, this is what I love and this is what represents me. Absolutely. I always think of uh, when it comes to regeneration and going into it is, you know, yeah, it's the same time board, it's the same doctor, but they regenerate into a new person entirely. It's like uh, the Tenth Doctor says in The End of Time to uh, Wilf uh, in part one, I think, he says, um, you know, like, oh, I die and some new man saunters out, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which, which really makes, you know, like, I know say oh no the doctor doesn't die at the end of part time uh, part uh, end of time part two he doesn't die in that and i'm like no he do- the tenth doctor that's a death that is a death and he doesn't want to go <laughs> he doesn't want to go robin <laughs> uh, it's okay jack you can get through this okay deep oh, breaths you know deep I, breaths. <laughs> it's one i can't i can't get through without crying Honestly, to be fair i don't think there's a there's an there isn't a new who regeneration I, ha- I can get through without crying anyway because i cry at crusher ackleston going i cry at david tennant i cry at matt Smith, i cry at peter capaldi so for me david tennant's one is the most iconic oh it i is, just think yeah. it's the most because it feels like he's one and it's just that knocking on the glass it's that kind of end game finale moment that raising up the one finger where you're like mm, I know. no 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 I know, I know. 
Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this much, man. If you've enjoyed uh, Sylvester McCoy in uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, there's uh, some big Finnish audios I can really recommend to you, and maybe I'll even be bringing up something about uh, Seventh Doctor audio later on, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, in terms of what I've been doing uh, since we last spoke, uh, obviously, uh, you know, sort of frothing at the mouth uh, for any information or tidbits about One Division, uh, getting through that, you know, which is really great. I won't say anything because currently Robin hasn't seen the latest episode, so I'm going to oh, leave that at that. Please don't. <laughs> I've been lucky like enough that. to avoid spoilers. So. Gonna, all, all I will say is uh, for episode seven, spoilers, everyone. It was Agatha all along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, uh, what an iconic uh, intro. Um, <laughs> I've also uh, been reading uh, the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson, who's an amazing Brilliant series. author. You turned me on to his Steelheart series, uh, which is fantastic, really good. I'm on the second Mistborn book right now, I'm loving it. And I also took a little interlude from that and read... Uh, because my wife suggested it, uh, The Midnight Library, which is a new book out from Matt Haig, or Haig? Which oh. is, which, you know, I would absolutely recommend this to Doctor Who fans, I would, because there's a lot of, uh, there's time shenanigans, I would say, and it's also quite reminiscent of It's a Wonderful Life, which is one of my favourite films, probably my favourite Christmas movie, so. Yeah, I would recommend that to people. And, um... I suppose, really, that's it for me in terms of things I've been doing recently. I, I suppose I've been playing some Hyrule Warriors, which I think, gameplay-wise, might be a bit similar to Persona uh, 5. Uh, what is made by the same Strikers. team, I believe. Oh, so... Wow. Yeah, they, they're they're the just, they got that Dynasty Warriors format down, haven't they, and have just improved it, you know? <laughs> but the thing is, I'm not even a fan of Dynasty Warriors, I'm and yet either. Strikers... It just feels so fresh. Mm -hmm. It feels like something completely different. And that's, and that's, does that's it... what I found with Age of Calamity as well from uh, Hyrule mm. Warriors. Because it is, you know, I love Breath of the Wild. It's probably one of my favourite, if not my favourite game. And uh, it's so wonderful to delve back into that world, but from a different style. And what I always found if I did play a Dynasty Warriors game was that if, if I was hitting something like with the character, it didn't feel like... Like, I couldn't feel, like, the weight of the hits. Do you know what I mean? It was no, you, like... you had no feedback. It was yeah. like, oh, I'm just hitting them with a piece of paper. I'm not yeah. hitting them with this yeah. broadsword or something. Exactly. Whereas with Hyrule Warriors, it's you really feel like you're actually ploughing through this horde of uh, moblins or, you know, or bacoblins or whatever it is, you know, which is really amazing. That is so cool. I just love it, you know. And when you get... You know, when you pull off a really good combo and wipe out, say, 50 enemies at once, you feel so, you feel so cathartic. Cause you're like, yes! And it feels, you, you know, your serotonin levels just go through the roof. So I imagine this is a similar thing with Persona 5 Strikers, is it? It, it, it really is. Um, but there's like a whole lot of strategy as well, because you have to um, figure out the enemy's weaknesses to certain elements. And you get to swap out party members on the go. And... Ah, oh, the music, the artwork, it's it's my favourite illustrator, it's my favourite composer, <laughs> um, my favourite series. Uh, it's just, it's an absolute joy for me every time I play the series. Oh, um, and even my girlfriend knows that, it's just like, oh, you've you got the new Persona title, 
okay, I've, I've lost you for a couple of days. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's nice that you can have a partner that's so understanding for that sort of thing. You know, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I've been with my uh, wife now for 10 years now. So uh, she understands when things happen. And when there's a new Pokemon game out, you, uh, you enjoy that, you know. Which actually, oh my goodness, man! I know, segue I've not, by any chance? Yes, little segue. I've not got any particular Doctor Who news I want to discuss with you this week, but um, I would like to talk about the Nintendo Direct from last week. And, so uh, good. And the Pokemon uh, Day stream, which uh, came out yesterday at uh, time of recording. Um, and can I just say how amazing it is that Pokemon got so much love? For its 25th anniversary, whereas Zelda just got absolutely shit on. Oh, you're still so salty so I'm so... That. I'm so... <laughs> look, don't get me wrong. I like Skyward Sword. I will I will probably get the HD remake. I will. But... That's it. Really? I, I'm the exact same, but... Oh. But, the saltiness oh, in your messages really came through. But at the through. same time, at the same time... Pokemon Legends Arceus? Excuse me. Oh, Hello. Thank you for not spoiling that. Because oh. when I was young, I was a mega, mega Pokemon fan. I think, I, all, I think all children our age were, weren't they? Uh, oh, you know? oh, no. I was... You, you, right now, for Doctor Who, that was me for Pokemon. The yeah, first right. 150, 151 Pokemon. Mm. I was... You, you ever watch Recess White? The Hustler yes. Kid. Mm-hmm. I was the Hustler Kid when it came to Pokemon cards and stickers. I had like five lots of everything, and I was like, "Hey, hey, you need this? Yeah, I got this. I got this." <laughs> I was, I was, I've actually, I've got my, uh, I've, I gave away most of my Pokemon cards to my niece, but I kept the good ones. I kept the shinies. <laughs> So I've got that. Actually, that weirdly enough, my Chromebook is sat on top of the poof, and they're under there. So I've got like my like all special ones there which is really cool but man i was i was big into pokemon pokemon too before doctor who that was my you know big thing as well as like you were saying you know i I loved it i was obsessed with it i i loved the movie when it came out even though my a true story my dad took me to see the pokemon movie and he left me alone in there for a whole hour to supposedly get ice cream Um, and when he came back with it, I just heard him mutter under his breath, Oh God, it's still going. <laughs> and he has still never forgiven me for taking him to see uh, that. <laughs> see, for me, it was, I think my mum fell asleep in the Digimon movie. <laughs> I mean, yeesh, yeah, that Digimon movie. Um, hey now, uh, you're an arse. <laughs> like, how... How much of a 2000s movie is this? We've got yeah, All-Star, we've got... <laughs> <laughs> the Pokemon, um, I, I, I can say one thing which I know will reduce you to tears straight away. Think about okay. the first movie. Brother, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon aren't meant to fight. Not, Not like, like this. this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Pokemon Legends... Oh, that oh looks incredible. That's what I've wanted for so long, because think... I'm a Pokemon fan, but I, admittedly, I've become bored mm. of how samey it's become. 
Oh, absolutely, you know. Like, and don't get me wrong, I, I enjoyed the last entry in the, in the, you know, I enjoyed Sword and Shield for what it mm-hmm. was. But, I mean, let's face it, Pokemon Legends is what we were all hoping a, a Switch Pokemon game would be. Damn just, straight. From, just from what we can see, you know, so far, it's, I mean, you said it to me, I think, it's Breath of the Wild Pokemon, which is, oh my god. And it's set in, like, feudal era Japan, or... And that paint colour scheme, like, oh, it looks beautiful, it's open world. And how, like... how refreshing is it that they're just like, yeah, you know what, we're not going to give you new starters. We, we know what you want. Here's just a couple of, here's a mismatch of Pokemon. Here's Rowlet as your grass Pokemon. Here's Cyndaquil and here's Oshawott. It's like, what? We're getting, like, cross-gen starters? I mean, I will say I'm not a fan of the Otter, but oh, Cyndaquil... Um, come on. Uh, Oh, no, no, Cyndaquil. Show Oshawott some, some, some respect. And Rowlet's pretty cool, but yeah, no, I'll, be, I'll probably be picking Cyndaquil, I'll be honest. But that that is a game that I'm really looking forward to. I cannot wait for that. It's going to be so exciting. I've actually sat by, speaking of Pokemon, speaking of Doctor Who, nice little segue break back oh, yeah. into it. My friend, uh, my friend who was my best man, uh, is over on the other man. He sent me some stuff because he's moving house and he's getting rid of stuff. He actually sent me his uh, Doctor Who Battle in Time cards. Oh, nice. Yeah, which is very cool. So I've got some different ones here. Like I've got, uh, I'm showing these to Robin. Obviously, you can't see them, but I've got uh, a regeneration and a weeping angel card there. Ooh. If I turn over, there's a shiny ninth Doctor and a shiny tenth Doctor. Um, I just don't know. Do I put them in attack mode and blow ice white dragon and goes for them or? I mean, first of all, you've got to believe in the heart of the cards to True. really draw. I do have a, I have a magic card here for Sonic Screwdriver, and I think <laughs> I imagine regeneration could be a trap card. I'm not sure. <laughs> just because because I love Yu Gi Oh as well, obviously. Because I'm that kind of geek. I. This is what made us two click when we first met um back when we were doing musicals it's like you like this right yeah mm-hmm. let's be friends <laughs> it it's was, like it's it is it was very much like that scene in uh in, in step in step brothers where it's like like oh my god did we just become best friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah we've known each other for a long time we pretty much love almost the exact same stuff um, and it's now great to be in this new bit of this venture um, absolutely man yeah I cannot think of anything else that has happened this way oh no no brainwave my uh, goat fish brain finally not working um, <laughs> so Nickelodeon have recently announced a couple of very awesome projects one, one, one is nostalgia awesome for me the other is just beyond anything I ever hoped for. Uh, so I believe that nostalgia one, Bugrats, is returning. Did you know there's a bunch of uh, Doctor Who references in, in the original Rugrats, by the way? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, they were huge fans of it, and that's why Tommy always carries around a screwdriver. <laughs> like, how awesome is that? <laughs> I... I I thought that would be a good thing to share on the Doctor Who podcast, Absolutely, and yeah. I, I think, like, what, we're both, like, well, 
I'm almost 30, you're... What? I'm almost 30, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 30 in March, so... Uh... <laughs> we were children of the 90s, we had our Nickelodeon, our Cartoon Network, but... We were the kids in America, so as they say. <laughs> mm. Um, And another Nickelodeon project, which I'm super excited for, because oh it's from God. the same same team, and it's just an amazing story, Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, I can't, I, I literally, I, I, I couldn't believe it, I, I'd given up hope. I thought, oh, you know what, Netflix is doing the live action one, which potentially is going to be just as terrible as M. Night Shyamalan's. <laughs> it can't be as bad, can it? Well, it, I think it's so bad that the original creators left it because of creative differences. So, I mean, I was about to say Netflix can't do any bad, but then Death Note. Oh, don't, 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 don't you, don't you speak of such things? <laughs> don't you speak of the Netflix Dragon Ball Evolution? But oh my god, to think that it's the original creators. Nickelodeon have obviously seen the popularity that that Avatar had when it came onto Netflix, like the actual show. I think it was amazing because I think it was like one of the top shows streaming on Netflix when they added it uh, to Netflix. Oh really? Was that I think I think it was one of the top shows across the world. Which for an animated show to be in that top ten is like unheard of. And it's. It's wonderful because it appeals to so many different ages. Because Jack, when you first watched it, were you were you watching it as it was coming I out? I was watching it as it came out. I actually, I think, I saw it from a lot of people uh, would have seen it in the UK because I watched um, the first episode I ever saw is in book one, series one, and it's um, it's the one where Ang first goes to the spirit world. So the, you know, oh, it's the giant, yeah, you know, it's yeah. the panda spirit that is, uh, you know. And uh, I saw that one whilst on holiday in America, and it hadn't come across yet. And they were just, I think they were just showing a few episodes, and I was like, oh my, what is, what is this beautiful <laughs> thing? And then of course I came across, and they, and I found it on UK TV after a bit, and watched all that, watched book two when it came out, and watched book three, and was just, oh. Just, oh, it was everything. Just beyond amazing. And for me, because I know a lot of people had to watch it as it was coming out, and they had that anticipation and those moments of like, oh my God, what's going to happen next week? Um, and for me, I didn't watch it until like a couple of years ago for the first time. And Really? Well, I did the very bad thing, judge the book by the cover. Because when I was younger, I caught just a tiny glimpse of it, and it was a very childish moment. And so my mind was, oh, this is about kiddies. Oh, but I sp- there are there are quite a few of those in series one because they are kind of finding their feet, and I guess they're kind of dr- trying to bring the kid audience in to then be like, yeah, you like this, like you know, life can be good, or life is good, but it can be better. And then, you know, there's just me just throwing a Pedro Pascal <laughs> reference again. But no, like, you know, and then obviously they hit you with so many themes then, which are just, you wouldn't expect on a kid's show. I say kid's show in inverted commas, but like... So oh many God. children's shows nowadays, they're, 
they're no longer talking down to kids. Things like Avatar with the cultural and religious aspects. Absolutely. Um, even even things like you know, there's genocide in mm, in Avatar, yeah. which is mental. You know. And we're now seeing um, a same-sex couple in Adventure Time, mm -hmm. and Steven Universe oh, is yes. a really great LGBT show. Um, these are all fantastic cartoons that are great for adults and kids alike. Yeah, and I think that's that's truly amazing. You know that we're just there, and it's like like you say, it's like it's forgetting the whole talking down to kids thing. It's just doing things. Just telling good stories and mm. also trying to represent the world of what it actually looks like, you know, like you, you know, and actually representing people and, you know, ideas that wouldn't be TV on TV in years gone by, which is ridiculous and wrong and should be seen, like, you know, same sex relationships and stuff. Damn straight, yeah. I, I think children are a lot more smarter than we give them credit for. And I think by putting these themes forward now at a young age, they can know that these aspects are good and they are perfectly valid things in this day and age. I think there's far too many, far too much hate in this world over something so ridiculous. This is 2021 and people should know better. Exactly, exactly. You know, I think... You know, it's like you say, and I can attest that especially because as a as a teacher, I can tell you, yeah, children are a lot smarter than a lot of people give them credit for, and they certainly don't appreciate being spoken down to. I don't think we would have as children. No, if we if we if we if I think if you ever realise you're being spoken down to, you sort of take it personally or to you know find it insulting, don't you? So it's amazing to see now what's being broadcast for them and. Like you say, there's so much hate, you know, even just going down to things like, oh, I like this, but you don't like it, or I like I like this, how dare you like that, you know? Whereas, you know, it's art is subjective, and things should just be, there should be a civil debate, you know? Uh, you know, and there shouldn't be such toxicity in even just fandoms and stuff like that, like <coughs> Doctor Who and Star Wars. <laughs> I I think that's definitely a topic for another day. Yeah. Um, toxicity and when fans feel overly entitled to certain projects, oh, which yeah. they can. All I'll say is, uh, like you know, for example, when I talk about current Doctor Who Chibnall era, as I call it, uh, as I call it, it is it's the Chibnall era because Chib Chris Chibnall is showrunner. I've not enjoyed it as much. However, if other people enjoy it, I'm so happy. Because I love Doctor Who, and I'm so happy if someone else is getting joy out of it, whereas maybe I'm not. It's it's about being civil, end of the day. It's not going, how dare you like that, because I don't like it. You know? And I think that is completely valid. I think you, there should be these conversations where we go, okay, you like it and I don't. Explain to me why, like, exactly. um, and actually have a conversation where it's like, okay, I can see those valid points, and maybe you bring up something that I never saw before. Um, and now, when I talk about something that I like that you don't necessarily like, you can see those aspects. Mm. There's plenty of things that I can 
Sorry, Jack. Um, you carry on. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, all that being said, I can't wait for the day when you've caught up with uh, current Doctor Who and I can hear your unadulterated thoughts on everything. So. <laughs> I, whether or not we agree will be very interesting. Um, I've, I've not heard particularly good things about it, which is always a good sign, even for my other super geeky group of friends who I play role-playing games with. Um, but speaking about passion for Doctor Who, how about we bring up our discussion for this week? Yes. Um, if you've listened to our previous episode, you would hear me sort of haphazardly uh, throwing the next episode topic at Robin and him just sort of going, oh, okay, um, yeah, we can do that, that's fine. And uh, <laughs> our topic this week is, um, and this is very much inspired by thinking about things like Obviously, the rumour is that Jodie Whittaker is leaving the show, which I'm not sure, but, you know, it's they could be trying to fake us out with a uh, surprise regeneration, which has slightly been spoiled. But then again, that happened with Chris Freckleston, I believe, that, uh, you know, initially the plan was for that, that it was going to be a surprise regeneration, but it was it was leaked and they had to deal with it. But... I did also see a video from uh, another YouTuber I like called Davis, which again I spoke about last week, who does a series called Brook Cannon. He also does a great series of retrospectives on Doctors about their five best and five worst stories, which is really good, and people should definitely check that out. I'll put a link somewhere as long as... Uh, sorry, as well as a link to uh, Clever Dicks as well, because uh, just amazing documentaries on both parts there. But the topic was what I would do with who. So this is one which I said to Robin initially when we were playing this podcast because I thought it was just too interesting a topic not to explore. That let's say um, Chris Chibnall hands over the keys of Doctor Who and somehow, some way, the BBC come to myself or Robin or both of us to be showrunner and say, okay, do what you want. You have free reign. You have potentially an unlimited budget which obviously would never happen to bbc let's be honest i think we, we, I we think, can wish <laughs> i think russell T. davis has quoted that he you know they they literally made a uh, series one of doctor who with no money whatsoever so <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be interesting but you know i think that just for the realm of you know speculatory uh, interest and going forward with things saying that we just have a we have as large a, bu- a budget as we need in order to do things to be pretty cool and just to see what we would do with Doctor Who to maybe make it interesting or just maybe carry on with the same thing so Robin would you like to start uh, as I started oh. last week or would you like me to go first and you'd like want to try and blow my socks off again well now the thing is I've kind of I initially came up with one thing, but I've also got another idea. This being, I've got a conventional idea, and then I've got a rather controversial (gasps) idea. Oh, I I like it. I I guess, without planning it, I kind of have something similar as well. So, would you like to give your, you know... my conventional take? Your conventional take, and then maybe I can give you my conventional take, and then you can try and blow my socks off, and I can try and blow off yours. <laughs> well, then, that which sounds is, which like sounds a... Which is, sounds slightly more sexual and entity <laughs> sound, or... I mean, Jack, at least buy me a tweet first, come on. <laughs> uh, but, um... Hello, sweetie. <laughs> okay, 
So we are sat in front of whoever it is currently in charge of BBC. We're sat in our seats. Of course, it's going to be one of those super long tables where they're all taken up one end. We're at the far end. A cough just echoes throughout the whole room. I'm drinking my water profusely because I'm sweating like hell. Um, and for me, I, I would actually take a page out of the original producer of Doctor Who. Um, I hope I'm getting her name right. Uh, Verity Anne Lambert? Lambert, Is that yeah. Lambert, Lambert yes. Because yeah. she took a real big risk with Doctor Who in the first place because... Sci-fi was just not a thing that they did back then. And it blew up into this amazing thing. And this is why I feel as if Doctor Who kind of needs that again. Because as a casual, I almost feel as if it's become too too safe in places. Um, like the Doctor's become too powerful. There's no longer a sense that he'll lose. Like there needs to be those times where he does. Um, so... For me, I've actually got my pick for the next Doctor, um, someone that I would love to see, and that is um, Idris Elba. I I think he would make for a fantastic Doctor. I think he's got charm. I think he's got some of that coolness. I think he's young enough where any action scenes that he do that he's doing his running. Um, which is appropriate for the title of this podcast. Um, you know, you could really get that out of him. And damn straight, we deserve and we should have a black doctor. That would just be really cool. Um, I think you just have that real kind of sense of character with him. And I think I'd take a page out of how they did um, Christopher Eccleston's doctor, where it's clearly a doctor who has not had a companion for a long time. Um, and so maybe they become a bit kind of cocky in a way, they're a bit silver tongue, playing it quite cool, they're just sort of travelling the places for the sake of travelling, it's no longer kind of, maybe they kind of lost their sense of, oh, I've gone here because of this beauty and how amazing this time is, it's more like, you know, I'm just going to do this and, you know, if I happen to come across this cool party or something fascinating, then that's cool as well, but Maybe they kind of lost touch with humanity and such. And so my idea is instead of him being like this man with everything under under him, like everything that he knows about um, and kind of that, like he's in the white, I was thinking maybe you could flip it on its head and have so his companion is now the one that needs to be taught by him. Um, and they become much more reliant on the Doctor in the sense of their companion is no longer this bright-eyed and curious person because they're not from this time, the sense of maybe they don't know what is right or wrong. And for this sense, I was thinking perhaps in their years of being without a companion, they've now created a companion, like an AI. And to now have the sense of, well, how do you teach this companion, you know, what's right and wrong? And so the Doctor, now becoming this sort of sure of himself, taking things less seriously, and realising the effects that he has on this companion, 
then becomes the doctor that we all know and love. And I feel as if that's actual progression and storytelling for the doctor, which I think they've kind of lost in recent series where it's just, to me, it really does feel like the doctor has just become that godlike figure where they can't do any wrong, that they know the answers and I just think it needs to be dialed back a bit where you can still have them have all this knowledge and everything, but just make it kind of on both sides, like the companion does things and he does things and really have them bounce off each other, which is why I loved um, David Tennant's and Catherine Tate's relationships at that. Maybe, maybe have a couple of stories where it isn't just solved by a way for the sonic screwdriver is what you're saying, basically. Yeah, no, 100%. And have a couple of those instances where it is the Doctor's clever planning, where it is him secretly sort of controlling the enemy's way of thinking and he actually has the upper hand, or have it be that the monsters are generally terrifying threats where sometimes he'll lose. Um, and so, Jack, you've mentioned how we have this unlimited budget. Um, I've got a couple of creative people that I'd like to task with this. Um, I feel like I would love to bring on uh, Taika Waititi um, as main director. I oh, know hi, guys. I... My name is Cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I... Oh, my God. The hammer pulled you off. I, you, you have a bit, because I'm just like, okay, do, do his voice, do his voice for a bit. It's like, uh, words. <laughs> Brother, <laughs> did, you George Luke, did you also do the George Lucas? <laughs> oh, oh, bro, you just feel like you put style for me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, please continue. I'm really sorry. Yeah, um, so I know Doctor Who is a very, well, it is a British series, and a lot of people feel quite defensive about who they have on board in terms of writers, directors, producers, but even Doctor Who first began, wasn't it um, a Canadian influence that yeah. they had? Sidney Newman was, a, I believe, a commissioner at BBC, was, yeah, mm. absolutely a Canadian, and I think the first director was a uh, was an Asian uh, gentleman. So. Really? Oh, I, that yes. I did not know about. Yeah, I believe, I believe from India, so, yeah. Well, I just feel like, you know, you can bring in these other influences, these talents that know what they're doing. Like, Watiti, he has more than proved himself with what we do in the shadows and Paul Wagnerwalk. And he's also done an episode of another sci-fi series that we know and love, The Mandalorian. A.K.A. the best thing to happen to Star Wars since Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Sith, if you're like me and just love Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> and uh, I just, I think he's he's great for sci-fi. He would be great for the comedic aspect of Doctor Who. And I think if he played with a script done by the Duffer Brothers from Stranger Things, where they would really ace those atmospheric moments and those monsters... Whereas it's no longer kind of people going, oh, it's just a guy in a rubber suit. It's like, no, no, no. We can have those Stranger Things moments where we have that comedy, but also that that unnervedness, those moments where you're not quite sure what's going to happen. That's cool. That's really cool. 
with Taika Waititi as well, you know, with, with what we've been in the shadow, what we're doing in the shadow, sorry, being the way it is, you can really lay, lean into sort of the gothic aspect of Doctor Who as well, which would be very cool, very interesting to see some, you know, different ones like that. And the Duff, the Duffer Brothers as well, I suppose you could say very dark storytelling as well. So, I, I think you need to strike that balance because I think Doctor Who has those monsters and kids like to be scared. They love to hide behind the sofa as the Daleks come out and that sort of thing. And it's also just striking that balance as well, which I think Quatito would do fantastically. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of The Mandalorian, I think if you're going to do Doctor Who, it's time to re-put that budget in and to sign on uh, Industrial Light and Magic, maybe get that special um, set of theirs that they use from The Mandalorian. Like that set that can project anything they want. So when you step out of the TARDIS, you can truly have the actors see and interact the world that they're going to be in this week. Like, whether it be a whole new planet or the possibilities of us being able to visit other countries and for them to feel authentic, um, rather than, oh, we're in Britain again. And it's like, how come we're always in London? Because it's the only place that we can afford to go to. <laughs> like, uh, it's, 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 it's London, but it looks like Cardiff, weirdly. So. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, those are very much the kind of things that I'd have. And as for the series itself, I'd have it be. I'd take, again, another page out of Mandalorian in the sense of it being a very character driven story where both of these characters would have equal screen time and it would very much be about um, them helping each other become better people. The Doctor teaching this AI how to be this very human being and teach them what is right and what. And to to quote Marvel, with great power comes great responsibility. And for the AI to maybe bring this Doctor back into what makes the Doctor so special about the fact that they do care for these races and such and making them realize why they love those things in the first place. I love that. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Um, unrelated, I'll recommend a Big Finish audio to people, which doesn't feature an AI companion, but does feature some interesting things, which is, uh, I believe it's called uh, um, Lies in Ruin, which is the first release on the Legacy of Time box set, which is really good. People should listen to that. It's a really good Eighth Doctor one, and... I'm going to say no more because I don't want to give any spoilers. So, I'd be very happy with that. Um, other than the notes that I've brought up, um, I think another thing which I've loved about the earlier new seasons of Doctor Who was their inclusion of little Easter eggs that kind of led you to know where the plot was going. The, the bad wall, the crack in the wall. And I think something like that where whether you bring back a similar reference or you have some sort of guffin that the characters are looking for, that's always quite a fun thing, I thought, especially as it's such an easy plot point for new fans. Um, and as for as for villains, I don't know about you, Jack, but Daleks, I don't think they should appear into the second or even 
cutscenes. Ah, there we are. There we are. But that's 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 up to you, end of the day. And I think you know it's you know there have been times, especially in classic Who, where the Daleks haven't appeared for six, seven years potentially. So you know that could be very good, very interesting to see. I I know that can sound sacrilege to a lot of fans listening. (laughs) I think I think you know I think end of the day you've got to be able to take things you know sort of as they were, and I think if there's one good thing about Moffat is that he didn't play the Daleks too much because he didn't really know how to write the Daleks, so... I just feel as if if we lay off the Daleks and have them just not appear, or have them be the ones actually pulling the strings, the ones who are not directly there, you can get a real sense of how malicious they can be, the way they can toy with people lives and when they do appear have them be like the Dalek in the episode Dalek where it is a menacing thing this is something that we should be terrified of, not something that we can just dispose of in a single episode absolutely Um, and yeah if I had to get like a special actor to play perhaps the main villain of the series I would love to see Sean Bean. But he's going to die. We know that much. <laughs> I mean, the fans would expect that, sure, but he is a fantastic actor. I think him alongside Idris would just be a fantastic pairing. I think he has done some fantastic stuff with um, his appearance in Game of Thrones his recent appearance in Snowpiercer, um, and he's done all sorts of different roles and characters, and I think a commanding figure like him, played by a top-notch actor, which I think the series kind of needs that, where, you know, somebody to bring in new fans, but at the same time keeping it quintessential. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, well... I've been blabbering on for all this time. Uh, Jack, please pitch to the higher-ups your idea. Absolutely. So I've got sort of a... I said to Robin just before this that I feel like I could pitch five series. I could pitch my own five-year plan, as I believe Chibnall has his five-year plan, which obviously is sort of stretching out years-wise now because of pandemics and different things like that. But anyway, yeah, I've I've sort of I've got one one series and I've got some sort of like tidbits I could add into series two, really, just for sort of thing. And like I say, I have got a sort of a more not controversial, but like a ooh, what a twist thing, which mm. I can maybe talk about later, which be which I haven't put in this pitch, but it's an idea. So I think that you're absolutely right, and uh, what we should look to do is try and make things more fresh with Doctor Who, and make things, you know, make certainly more accessible to a new audience. So, I'm going to say something now which may seem sacrilege to some people. I would want a bit of a break in between whatever point Doctor Who finishes to then when I take over. So, whether that be a, a two, three, four, even five year gap where Doctor Who is not on the air... And it's sort of like enough time for people just to know about it and sort of forget about it. Not, I'm not talking about a big wilderness year sort of thing like we have a classic Who into New Who, but a bit of time, a bit of breathing space, you know? That sounds good to me, yeah. You know, I'd even sort of want to be 
the ending of that run of Doctor Who to be sort of like classic Who, the Doctor walking off in the distance and we don't see them regenerate. So, you know, which would be very cool. Um, when you come into my show, or my Doctor Who, I want it to be very much uh, reminiscent of the success that was the Russell D. Davis era. Without sort of just being a carbon copy, I just want it to be reminiscent in the sense it's that fresh start, but it can capture the minds of the nation like, you know, it did before. I think, you know, Netflix has ruined us in terms of content that they can dump a load of episodes on there. And you've even seen it with some stuff being released by the BBC and Channel 4 now. They'll just dump the episodes and they'll go on the TV like that. I think WandaVision has proved to us again now that you can have TV which happens every week and people will come back for it. So that's what I'd want there. Ideally, I would like the deal with the BBC to be both maybe Netflix or Disney so that it can have the same sort of level and budget and I even put in my notes there the same set as The Mandalorian. Mm. <laughs> because, I mean, when you watch those gallery episodes, it's just, yeah. Why would you? Why would you have anything else? You know, it is about spending money to end up saving money in the long term. Exactly, and I think you know, Mandalorian and WandaVision have proved that if you give enough money to this sort of thing, it can have amazing repercussions. Because Mandalorian and WandaVision both look like they could be movies. They both look like a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie, but it's just. A TV show, mm, which is amazing, you know, it's so cool, you know. But anyway, so that's what I'd like, you know, in terms of the budget. My Doctor, I would cast one of two actors. Ooh, drum love. And now, with my gut, there was one I really wanted to cast, but there is another one that's sort of been nagging in my head as well, if I, if I really have to be honest. So, the one I went to straight away when I was thinking about it was, I would really, really like to see the Doctor, and I feel like I'm a bit plagiarising Davis here, but it was someone that I've had in my head for playing the Doctor for a number of years, and that is Adrian Lester. Oh, okay. Who, if you ever saw, did you ever see Hustle, uh, Robin, the... Uh, that TV show where they were, you know, con artists, but they, you could never con an honest man, that sort of one. You know, I caught a couple of episodes when it was original on TV, and yeah, he's really good. He's he's classically trained. He's, uh, you know, he's a Shakespearean actor, so he's definitely got the chops to be able to do Doctor Who. I think, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about uh, the Doctor, who the 14th Doctor is going to be now because of the rumours of Jodie Whittaker leaving. And people are always like, oh my god, it could be Tilda Swinton. It could be Tom Hiddleston. And I think people have to remember that the Doctor, it's not something someone takes a step down to do. You know, it's always a step up in their career. Unless, I mean, obviously, someone like Peter Capaldi sort of took a step sideways to do it, really. Or maybe you could argue Christopher Eccleston as well, you know. But it's it's always something which sort of propels someone's career and... And like that, you know, I could see Idris Elba doing that. I think he'd do a grand job, but it's someone that I think is gonna, you know. And I'm not trying to diss uh, Adrian Lester's career in any sense at all. He's a very accomplished <laughs> actor. He just done 
some fantastic work. I particularly loved him in Hustle. Is just what I have to say. I really did, you know. And I think he could really bring a sense of that darker Doctor to this again. My Doctor would be a bit more the the ends justify the means. So okay, so a lot, very different Doctor already to what a I very had. a very further away thing. But then at the same time, he can be a bit more feeling what he has but he could definitely be even more than tenant i'd say the you know a very empathetic doctor you know he can really feel things a lot more human but at the same time he has that you know that contra that um contrasting thing of yeah no the the end still justify the means should be quite cool to go with i've i've broken it down into this in that i've got Robin, can we agree that Doctor Who should have 13 episodes and a Christmas special? Damn straight. And do you not think that the fact that it now has per series 10 episodes is not enough? It does? I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's uh, currently... Well, obviously this year will be 8 episodes, but that's because of the pandemic. That's fine. 8 episodes or something is better than nothing. But... And during Capaldi's years, it was taken down to 12 episodes a year. And give me those 13 episodes again. So like I say, it's going to be reminiscent of the Rusty era because of that. And because of maybe some tonal things, but I also want it to be very classical. In the sense that it is not just a sense of the Doctor going back to modern Earth every couple of episodes. You do away with that entirely. I've got maybe two or three episodes which are set on modern day Earth. And the rest of them are either in the future, historicals, or on some different planet entirely. Those, I think, are far more interesting than just modern day Earth. Exactly. Look, Doctor Who... (laughs) Doctor Who is sci-fi, isn't it? And sci-fi is a prism in which you can explore so many different avenues. Why would you limit yourself to just being modern-day Earth every week? Like, have it as your first episode, sure, Mm -hmm. because it's taking you from the normal to the alien, Mm -hmm. literally. But, um, yeah, like, for me, episodes set in the past are always my absolute favourite. Mm-hmm. And then I know people who love the future episodes or the other world episodes. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think as well, it's just um, I did debate, sort of going, oh, maybe I'll do something like I did with the Third Doctor, in that I'll have the Doctor stranded on Earth or in a different planet entirely, and you have a series based around that, which would be very interesting. I know. Stephen Moffat had originally planned that the Trenzalore arc of the 11th Doctor would be an entire season, but Matt Smith left, uh, obviously, a little bit early, so we had to make that into the one uh, Christmas special, the uh, Time of the Doctor, mm. which I think holds up. I think it's a really good episode. But anyway, I have, like I say, I've got 13 episodes potentially planned out and a Christmas special, and i got a little bit of looking into a, a Series 2 thing like that. Okay, you definitely did far more research into this than I did. <laughs> it's something I've been thinking about for a while, you know. And uh, first of all, in my first episode, I would have the Doctor being introduced. We wouldn't have a regeneration episode. Very much like Christopher Eccleston 
It'd be uh, straight in, Adrian Lester is the doctor, that's just it. He comes in investigating some sort of cosmic anomaly that is happening and he is joined on this adventure by someone who comes into it partway through the first episode and that is Rani Chandra played by Anjil Mohindra a growing up Rani from the Sarah Jane Adventures oh okay yeah which yeah. is very cool because she's grown up you can obviously have you know that she knows the doctor already and maybe she's been looking for him you i think you could totally make her into a new sarah jane-esque character in the sense that she wanted to be a journalist in that show anyway sarah jane smith when she was introduced was a journalist and obviously was throughout doctor who and uh, her own show as well had different contact within that i think it'd be really cool sort of nod to that and also be like come on you know she deserves her dues now uh uh is an amazing actress i've seen her in some amazing things she was in the bodyguard and was fantastic in that she uh she appeared in the most recent series of doctor who as a monster so you can okay. you, but the, and she just did some amazing classic doctor who like chewing the scenery uh work as this monster and it was beautiful really beautiful i really that's a really that's one of the best episodes of series 12 actually she's it um anyway and i think that'd be really cool to have her come back because you can have it you know for new people but then you've also got it for there for fans of old stuff that can go oh yeah i know her you know i remember from this but also you have that little you have that little hook of making her a cool character and new viewers being like ooh. I could uh I could jump into this. I could uh I could I guess I can look back and see what happened before. A lot like we were with classic who. Mm, yeah. That's yeah. a really good way to think about it. You know, but then of course you've actually at the end of the episode it is set up that the villain of the series is going to be a classic who villain called the Black Guardian. Oh, I'm not familiar with them. Um, they were actually uh, who the Doctor was trying to get the key for time from in that very first series of Doctor Who that had like an overarching plot. Okay, And the villain is there and is going to chase the Doctor and Rani for something that has happened in the first episode, Okay, which is set in modern day Earth. And so the Doctor is forced to do something which he had to do in the classic series. He has to set on the random um, materialisation circuit. Which means that he can no longer plan where he's going to be landing until he can come up with a way to defeat the Black Guardian. Okay, I like that. That's really cool. So that leads us with a bunch of episodes where basically the Doctor doesn't know where he's going to go. And the TARD is just going to land them because it's the only way they can get away from the Black Guardian. Because he's constantly chasing them through this time stream. Maybe even for a couple episodes in the series we'd see him pop up as they're disappearing in the TARDIS. I, I think that's really good because that way you're taking another, um, another strength of Doctor's way is his knowledge of things. So if he doesn't know where he's going to end up, he has to really think on the spot. Especially if he does think, oh, you know, welcome to the Wild West. And he steps out and it's the French Revolution. And it's just like, well, certainly still wild. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and playing this new incarnation of the Black Guardian, I would have Charles Dance. 
Oh. Tywin okay. Lannister himself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very cool, okay. Um, your second episode is set on a future planet. So I'm going to very much do the um, the new the new Who format, which started things off for us today, is where you have a modern day episode, a future episode, and a past episode. So it's set on a future world, set during the Dalek War. It's not a Dalek episode, though. The only, you know, there could be a monster set on this planet, but the only reference you have that the Daleks are there is that they are saying, you know, this is within the Dalek Wars, you know, that people are fighting in it, you know? Okay, cool. that's okay. the second episode. Second episode. You, ever, you say it's happening, but you don't see the Daleks. They're just referenced. Okay. I'm going to get all rolling okay, second cool. episode. Yeah. yeah. Just into, just into it. Just to be like, oh, this, you know, this could happen later on. Okay. Third episode. Uh, and this is where I actually attached a writer to it. I imagine myself writing the first two episodes, as I think is sort of customary. <laughs> Third episode is set in 1904 Japan. Okay. Oh. During the, uh, the, the war or fight between Japan and Russia. In which I believe Russia tried to take over a part of China. I'm, I'm entirely wrong here. You know, I'd probably get a historian to work with the writer of this episode, who would be Toby Whithouse, who has written some amazing episodes of Doctor Who, and also created Being Human, which is a very good show as well. And this introduces our second companion. Okay, so you're gonna have two companions. Then. Have two companions, yes. Um, obviously, to this point, we've had no Caucasian uh, actors in our TARDIS team, which I think is very cool. You know, we've had Adrian Lester and Angel as well, who are, you know, both not Caucasian, which I think is about time to have a TARDIS team like that reflects it. But we come to 1914, and helping the Japanese fight Russia is someone from the Doctor's past. Okay. A certain potato man, Robin. <laughs> Not who I was expecting. Strax is fighting in Japan. Uh, he I left. Thought... He left Victorian London, <laughs> knowing that this was that hearing of the samurai and their culture. I went over yes. there to join in. So we have Strax joining the TARDIS team as a companion, giving oh, okay. us giving us some comic relief. Does that mean, he, can he wear, like, instead of his typical helmet, could it be, like, an oversized samurai helmet? Yes, that that's, how, that's, that's how you introduce him in the episode. <laughs> okay? I and apart from Strax being there, it is a pure historical. Okay? Mm, okay. In that there are no, like... There's no enemy, per se. The Doctor's just going in there because he knows Japan have to win against Russia, but he just doesn't want Strax to mess up things too much. Like, he doesn't want them to win too much with, like, laser cannons and stuff. Okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. So then Strax joins the TARDIS uh, team, and because obviously he can't go around certain periods of the world because of what he looks like, or certain periods of time, the Doctor does something which uh, is very akin to Nightcrawler in uh, the X-Men Evolution series. Did you ever catch Oh, that? yeah, with the watch. 
Yeah. With a watch which is it's it's a variation of a perception filter that makes Strax look like Dan Starkly, the actor that plays Strax, but basically makes him look human. But Strax can't tell, so he basically the doctor just switches it on when Strax isn't looking. So when he's going on about the glory of Sontar and stuff, people are sort of just looking at him like what? So, because I think, you know, Strax probably would not be up for being made to look like a human. I, I think that's great, because it's mm-hmm. it's keeping this character who myself and fans love, and it's also giving the actor some due where it's like, you know what, let's mm-hmm. give you some face time, you know, let's actually have you show yourself off and show off your action chops about the makeup. Yep, okay, and um, that then leads us into episode four which I would have Russell T. Davis come back to write. Mm-hmm. I know he said before that he's not interested in coming back to it, but he keeps doing little things. Like he did the Rose novelization. He did quite a lot of little stories for Doctor Who Knockdown. Whereas I believe Moffat being like, I'm done with Doctor Who. I sort of, I can kind of believe Russell T. Davis sort of sticking his head back over the fence. Being <laughs> like, Ooh. By the way, so I'd give him one. Episode. If you gave it three years mm-hmm. to like have that pause, I think they would be willing to come back for a special occasion. Exactly. Like and uh, this episode, I would be, I would call the death of New Earth. Ooh. Okay. In which he writes, it's the Doctor going further than he usually does into history. He lands on New Earth, which obviously we saw in series two and series three of Doctor Who. And it's revealed, which, building upon something that he did in one of his Doctor Who lockdown things, that something quite sinister is actually what drew humanity to this new planet. Something within the planet itself is alive. Okay, <laughs> you're giving that smirk. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think and where you're going that's, with this. That's that's and that, that's that's all I'd say about it for now. But that's that would be the the hook of the episode. Oh, I'm I'm getting some vibes here of like you're not planning to bring back the devil, are you? No, no. no. <laughs> Although that would be cool, but no. My fourth, sorry, fifth episode. I would actually want to have an adaptation of a Doctor Who novel. Oh, okay. Which one? In the same vein that uh, Series 3's Human Nature and Family of Blood were adapted from uh, Seventh Doctor novel by Paul Cornell, I would like to see Jonathan Morris, the actual writer of Touched by an Angel, to come in and adapt this story into a Doctor Who episode. I believe you told me that that one is absolutely fantastic. Is it? Is it kind of like a, a rom-com situation? It's not or? a rom-com, really. There are some funny moments. There's definitely romance, and there's definitely a romance story there, but it's... It's like a Richard Curtis film. That's what but it was, Doctor yeah. Who. Very much... It's very much, you know... Um, in the vein of, I think it's something like the lines of Vincent and the Doctor. I don't want to say too much about the story, so I don't want to ruin it, but basically, I'll read the blurb of the story, okay? Okay, please. Okay. 
So this is Jonathan Morris's uh, Touch by an Angel. Please go and pick it up, people. If you just want a really good Doctor Who story, which features the 11th Doctor and Amy and Rory, it's really good. They're barely in it. They're like secondary characters, and it's such a good story. Okay. Um, the past is like a foreign country. Nice to visit, but you really wouldn't want to live there. In 2003, Rebecca Whittaker died in a road accident. Her husband, Mark is still grieving. He receives a battered envelope posted eight years ago containing a set of instructions with a simple message, you can save her. As Mark is given the chance to save Rebecca, it's up to the Doctor, Amy and Rory to save the whole world because this time the Weeping Angels are using history itself as a weapon. In the story, you, uh, you meet the character of Mark and I really identify with the character of Mark. He loses his wife in the story, as you hear there, in 2003. And then, eight years later, he receives a letter saying that he can save her, which is just your hook for the story. And then features some time travel shenanigans, some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff, obviously with Weeping Angels and the Doctor involved. And I don't want to say too much about it, only that it'd be interesting this episode because you could have, you know... It's not your do- it's not your Doctor Light episode yet in the story, but it's a really good one to have a bit a bit less engagement from the Doctor, so they can be off filming other scenes, but you still have them come into the story in sort of critical points. Is that is that one Doctor Who episode you have every series where the Doctor very much takes a yeah, step back? Exactly, and it's, and I've got one of those, but that's not it yet. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, Jack, you're putting me to shame. Because I was like, okay. you know, I'm just going to oh. come up with some of my ideas for directors and such. And you're, you're just coming up with like a whole synopsis. I've got, I've got a whole thing. Episode 6 is uh, Maori Blackman comes in. Obviously a writer of uh, Noughts and, Cro- uh, and Crosses. Uh, very good book series. And now a BBC series as well. I think she came in and wrote um, the Rosa Parks episode with Chris Chibnall for Doctor Who. Uh, I think being as it that she wrote Knots and Crosses and we've got a black doctor, I think it may be amazing for her to bring a sort of sense of dystopian fantasy to Doctor Who of an episode there for episode six. Okay? Okay. You'll notice there have been no two parties yet, so I'll get to that in a sec, okay? Episodes seven and eight, I would have Neil Gaiman come back. In my mind, if they were going to have a showrunner for Doctor Who after Chris Chibnall, it should be Neil Gaiman. He did a fantastic job with Good Omens, and I believe American God, he took over as showrunner as well. So I'd love to see what he could do, especially with his take on the Doctor. I know, uh, what's it called? Uh, Nightmare in Silver. I know that one's not as good as The Doctor's Wife, but The Doctor's Wife is one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever. And he's an amazing writer. For his for seven to episode seven and eight, I would have him come in and write a dark fantasy two-parter for the Doctor. By what do you mean by dark fantasy? Very much something sort of maybe trippy, maybe something involving like a more sort of cosmic level of thing, maybe something sort of out of the ordinary and featuring different pockets of time and different pockets of maybe reality. Something, yeah, just something dark, okay? Okay, I mean, 
Neil Gaiman is a fantastic writer, so I'm down for any credit by him. Okay, cool. Episode uh, nine is a Dalek story, written by Nick Briggs and voice of the Daleks. Has he done writing before? Oh, absolutely, my friend. He's written loads of stuff for Big Finish as one of the as one of the creators of Big Finish and one of the you know, uh, heads of Big Finish. He's written so many things. He wrote uh, some of my favourite stories, and particularly the first War Doctor box set, which is amazing. So, hmm. oh, that's cool to go from the voice of a Dalek to writing about that. Uh, yeah, big fan of the show. I think he's he's even written an eleventh Doctor Dalek novel as well, I believe. So uh, I haven't read that one yet, but I'm looking forward to it at some point. Uh, so I'd have him writing an episode which in which you introduce the Dalek Time Squad. Oh, okay. These, these these sound like the Chad Daleks. Yeah. So the Dalek Time Squad were actually introduced in Time Lord Victorious. Oh. And I would have them be brought in and be tweaked a little bit, in the sense that they are these five Daleks. They're, it's the end of the Dalek War. They are these five remaining Daleks. Okay? The Emperor, Scientist, Executioner... Um, strategist, and I can't remember what the fifth one is, but still. <laughs> but they're five Daleks that are creating a new Dalek race. And in the sense that they're being sent into battle of different things. And whenever one of these Daleks is killed, the casing uploads the memory of this Dalek into the Dalek like head computer... And the Dalek mutant itself is cloned and implanted with the memories of the Dalek just before it died. So that they can send something in, it's killed, and it's brought straight back in with to them. Very much in the main, in the line, sorry, of like Morlan in Marvel Comics is the Spider-Man villain and his family as well. In the, When they're killed, they're instantly just cloned and brought back again. Oh, okay. That that sounds really making them a very threatening enemy to the Doctor. Okay. Um, episode ten would be the Doctor Light episode. Okay. I would have uh, James Goss, uh, writer of things like Death and the Queen, uh, and so many other amazing things. Head of. Uh, Time Lord Victorious when it came out as well and uh, I've spoken about James Goss James last time and I could gush about him all the time but I think it'd be really cool to have him transition from doing all this brilliant expanded media to actually doing an episode of the main show so that mate I, I, I'm sorry if I'm sounding like um, a broken record but I'm just at the moment just going yeah I like this this sounds <laughs> awesome i I think the fact you've actually brought to this meeting your transcript for all these episodes, where I'm just like, oh, it's my idea. I definitely didn't just come up with this in the last hour in the foyer whilst I was waiting. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of did mine sort of haphazardly as well, and I could put more thought into it. This is just a this is just an idea for what I think would be cool. Okay, episode uh, eleven is written by a returning Doctor Who writer, uh, Robert Shearman, who did Dalek. Okay. And yeah. also has done so many amazing and probably the best stories over at Big Finish. I'd have him come in and tell a truly messed up 
scary story. He's done that with an amazing release called The Chimes of Midnight, which is one I'd recommend to anyone who's not just a fan of the Eighth Doctor, who's fitted in it, any fan of Doctor Who, because it is just, it's one of the best stories in all of Doctor Who it is. And he also wrote Jubilee, which turned which turned into Dalek, or adapted into Dalek, and The Holy Terror as well, which is amazing. He's just an amazing, amazing writer, and I can gush about Robert Sherman all day. Now... <laughs> But believe me, folks, he would do. <laughs> That's my episode 11. Okay, Episode 11, the end of that, sets up the two-part finale in which the Doctor not only has to face the Black Guardian catching up with him, there's been no interconnectivity in all the episodes beyond that, but also this two-part series finale, the Doctor has to deal with a Cyberman civil war. I know what you mean by Cyberman Civil War, but my head just goes to Marvel Civil War. <laughs> I know, I know. But in in Doctor Who, obviously in Series 2 of New Who, we had the Cybus Cybermen, the Cybermen from the Parallel Dimension introduced, didn't we? Mm, yeah. But it's strange because at a certain point, we just started seeing those Cybermen instead of the Cybermen of the main Doctor Who universe. You're right. I never even thought about that. That's I, such a... I think Neil Gaiman and Moffat as well said at one point that they imagined that they just merged at some point. I'd like them to. I'd like to see that story. That that would be really cool actually to see those two different. The Black Guardian in the end of episode eleven catches up with the TARDIS and does something which causes it to crash in a in the middle of a crossfire that no one would ever want to be caught in it definitely has vibes of um, remembrance of Daleks with that kind of civil war that's that what they I'm have. thinking absolutely but I also I want you to think of it as they land on a ice on a snow planet very much reminiscent of the 10th uh, planet which is the first inclusion story of the Cybermen where it was at the North Pole they're on this wasted, frozen, uh, frozen planet, trying to survive. Whilst these two Cybermen factions, one's from one Earth, from one parallel Earth, one from another Earth, are fighting against each other. You could have classic Cybermen being in it, looking as stupid as they look, fighting the <laughs> Cybus ones as well. But then, do it. Just but then you really come into it by having the classic ones come in with this really sort of grotesque and freakish looking Cybermen hybrid that they've been forced to create to defeat these enemies for another world. But then, the end of episode 12, the Black Guardian finally joins the fight as well. And he joins there, and he, as a sort of a cosmic time of being, Cast out this sort of spell or hex sort of thing, which takes over all the Cybermen, and they all turn towards the Doctor with these purplish eyes and this sort of black flame coming off them. And that's your end of that episode. The cliffhanger. <laughs> the cliffhanger. Yeah, the Doctor is all alone with no one there to help him. Okay. Oh, I definitely want to tune in for that next episode. Episode 13, obviously he does, he finds some way around stuff, 
pulls in Time Lords to help him or something else. You know, I've not really got... I, I came up with, the, with that part before the rest of it, but anyway there. And then obviously you go into your Christmas special as well. In a Series 2, I would introduce a Past Companion as well. I think, you know, Rani and Strax would be great for a two-person TARDIS team. And I think you can make a three-person TARDIS team work as well. The companion I would have join in Series 2 to sort of be like a mentor figure to the other two, Rani and to Strax, and sort of be able to someone who can actually fly the TARDIS when the Doctor needs someone else to be doing it. I have this image of, the, of her just at the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And the doctor being like speaking to her on like a comms thing and just running through the door there, being a bit more sort of like a espionage series, as it were. You know, say he defeats the Black Guardian, all's fine. He is then more back to being able to be the doctor and right the wrongs that you know he wanted to do before, and sort of maybe seeing that there's a lot of cleanup to do following the Black Guardian chasing him around in that previous series. And the character I would bring back, the past companion. Say it with me, Robin. Who do you think it is? Is it um, Sophie Aldred by any chance? Oh, no, actually, it's, uh, it's Adam Mitchell, you know, from uh, the... Uh, yeah, of course it's, of course it's Ace. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Ace back as a companion, yeah. Absolutely. And that's that's where I'd have that, you know? A, a fantastic choice. And in that in second... just four episodes, I've to absolutely love her and she's she's brilliant she's really really good and that second series as well there'd be one episode i don't know if it'd be the end of it i don't know if it'd be the middle of it or i would have it be a multi-doctor story i'd have a doctor come back i think i'd really like it to be capaldi i think i'd really have like to have capaldi back for an episode or really not or 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 mcgann to be honest you know and that story, that multi-doctor story, you have it very much in the vein of Cold Fusion, which is a new series novel, which is now a, a big Finnish audio as well, in which you have the Doctor facing off against his former in- incarnation. And again, a bit like Time Wars Victorious as well, where you actually have two versions of the Doctor basically trying to fight against each other. I think it'd be really cool to actually see that on TV. You know, basically at odds with each other over what's going to happen. Like their own ideals against each other and yeah. seeing how these two doctors are very different in the way that they tackle that problem. Absolutely, yeah. Can I also add, I've got to say, in the Dalek episode written by Nick, Nick Briggs, I play with it a bit in that the Doctor doesn't actually meet the Daleks in it. We're introduced to the Time Squad and they're doing stuff, but the Doctor is working behind the scenes because the Daleks are trying to fight what it is, the last of the you know Dalek race, obviously. But they go into a battle in which it looks like they're going to use and the Doctor has to step in and work behind the scenes because it's a fixed point and the Daleks have to win. Oh. Yeah. Mm. You've got to love which, those fixed points. Which is where you can tie into, again, that ends justify the means where the Doctor being like, this has to happen because, you know, this happens and then it leads to this and things like that. I, may I, I think at this point you have the full attention of the of this meeting and I'm just kind of there just like 
yeah, okay, I'm just on my phone, you know, just let me know when you finally decide to pick his ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think that, you know, we'd necessarily be in there together and be like pitching it as well. But let's hear your radical idea, mister. Let's hear your controversial one. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, this is quite a controversial opinion of mine. This was... But the question is, would you get death threats for it? Mm. It depends. I, I, think, I think I get death threats in my one, but you go ahead. I mean, it's not like I'm trying to introduce Jar Jar Binks into the series, so I'm uh, not... It's, al- it's already been done, you know, hasn't it? <laughs> oh my god, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you mentioned that in the previous episode. Yeah, um, <laughs> so this was actually my first initial thought when you asked me this question to prepare for this week. Um... And effectively, to paraphrase a certain deranged clown from DC Comics, it's simple. We kill the Doctor, which (laughs) is less Joker's voice and more Daddy DeVito, but you get what I mean. (laughs) So anyways, I just started blasting. Blasted. So you either... You kill the doctor or you make him miss it. And I know this already sounds sacrilege because like, well, it's called Doctor Who, so what the hell are you doing? Um, Effectively, I'd have it be that the series isn't made up of the doctor, but it's made up of maybe five or six different people that are picked up by the TARDIS from different points of time and space. And each one of them is meant to represent an aspect of the doctor. Because, to me, I feel as if Doctor has become this very overpowered figure where he can talk his way out of every situation. He can use a sonic screwdriver for anything. He knows knowledge. And sometimes, if the companion's not well-written enough, it can really feel like he's overshadowing the companion. And it almost feels like, well, why have you got this companion in the story? So in this sense, this is the situation where what happens when you take the Doctor away and you have it be regular people or whether you have even one alien thrown in with this um, this watch idea that you brought up, Jack, which I think is a lot of merit and I think that's something how you would run a Doctor Who RPG if you wanted your equivalent Dungeons and Dragons for a group of friends around the table. Um, but Getting back to this idea, each person would be picked up by the Doctor, whether they'd be um, saved or kidnapped from a situation. I could imagine one of them being part of French Legionnaires, sort of blindfolded, put in front of a rifle range, about to be killed. And the Doctor just, well, not the Doctor, the TARDIS just materialises over them, saving them, and is now kind of putting them in their depths. And it's like maybe the TARDIS actually has this motive of bringing these people together to help find the Doctor, and that's the main point of the series. Um, but I just love this idea that these are just regular people, given the situation where they are going to places through time and space, much like the companions are. But rather having this all-knowing Doctor who seems to have all the answers and knows exactly what's going to happen, 
they have to rely on the historical expert or the scientific expert, which this main idea, this all came from looking back at season one of Doctor Who, where they had two teachers. And I really liked this idea where the companions felt like they had urgency in the series because they knew stuff. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I'd say as well that it's Ian and Barbara, those two teachers, they're actual... They made the Doctor the Doctor, you know, before the Daleks episode where you have Ian saying to the Doctor, you can't just leave these people to die and things like that. It was, And also the Doctor seeing, you know, the, the threat of the Daleks. It's, it wasn't until then that you really see the Doctor start becoming a hero, you know. And I think that's really important. It's that sort of same dynamic and that same idea that I sort of had for the AI Doctor companionship that I had for my traditional Doctor Who, but with the world's reversed. And so for this, this idea that all these characters come from different times, different places, have very radical opinions of things. Um, and I've already got like a whole list of actors that I'd love to line up. Um, obviously, I'd love Sean Bean still as the the nemesis for the story, maybe someone who actually wants the TARDIS for himself and is hunting them for it. Um, I have to say, credit where credit's due, your idea for the Black Guardian was an absolute superb idea. He is a phenomenal actor with one of those empowering voices, which is great. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Idris Elba, and I'd very much want him to be part of this team. Um, and then if I could also pick my five, um, any picks, they would be um, J.K. Simmons, because I feel like a, he'd be a really great choice for like, a much older character who's maybe really good talking and it's a bit He'd also love pictures of Spider-Man, so... Oh, damn straight. <laughs> um... I thought, and this is actually, I forgot to mention who I thought would be a great pick as the Doctor's companion, would be Winnowa Ryder from Stranger Things. Oh, Winona Ryder, cool. Because she's, she's shown just how versatile she is. Uh, she's played heroes and villains um, in all sorts. I know she was um, the villain in the Hellboy remake, which... I haven't seen because I've heard it was awful, but I heard she was still really good in that. Wow. Um, um, another actress who I absolutely love and would love to see her more uh, fantasy and sci-fi, uh, Gwendolyn Christie from Game Ooh. of Thrones. Yes. I, I think she's just so good. And of course, I've, I know her most from Game of Thrones mm -hmm. and her completely throwaway throw part in Star Wars, where she could have been so much better. She was almost as wasted as Finn, honestly. <sighs> that, I'm, I'm so sorry about that, because she is such a wonderful character, and whether you make her that kind of, that tough character of the group, the one that makes the hard decisions where no one else does, or... Mm whether you have a place, someone who we haven't played before. She is such a versatile actress. Mm -hmm. um, I think all these actors really come together. That's 
bounce a good chance. It's really cool. I believe she's actually playing Lucifer in uh, the Netflix Sandman as well, which is something I'm really looking forward to seeing. No. So, yeah. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, that's another on my must-read list because I've heard from no things about Sandman in years. Mm. Um, I, to sort of throw in that sort of character where he's like, okay, obviously with any group dynamic you need a sort of comic relief type character and I was really struggling with this one because I was thinking like who from TV shows do I really like, who do I like to watch and for this part I was torn between two actors, both of whom from Firefly. Um, now originally I was thinking oh do I have it be the pilot from Firefly but then I was like you know what if we've got the budget and we're really going for it Nathan Fillion. I'm sold. I'm sold. Like, yeah. I feel like he could be the wild card, the one that gets the group into bad situations. Maybe even be that French legionnaire who is the one who's saved. Um, if, and... if you, sorry, but if you've got uh, Captain Hammer in my Doctor Who, I'll, I'll watch it. You know. Hmm. Um. And it's funny enough you should mention Ace. Because, as my sixth choice, I funny enough had, for the old fans, bring something Doctor Who related so they don't feel completely objectified. Jar Jar Binks. No, it's Ace. <laughs> I, I had to too. Just Sorry, I, I had to just dead ass stare him there, like, don't do this to me. <laughs> He was given, like, the, the childlike excitement eyes, the waving of the arms, like, couldn't resist it. But I think they would make such a diverse group, each representing different aspects of the Doctor, where they'd all come together. And because they're human or not human, there's this, be this real thing of any of these characters could die. I could honestly imagine that by season, sorry, not season, by episode three or four, one of these characters is killed off, and you realise that this is a situation where these actors are mortal. All right, These George characters. R. R. Martin. <laughs> but it's just like you put like real stakes into the show. It's no longer oh, the Doctor will always win by the end. He'll just wave his sonic screwdriver and solve the problems. Like no, no, these characters will die, and they will die doing things that they feel are white they will change history in ways that they feel make sense with a reflection of their own pasts where maybe where they come from that they don't have these luxuries that the people in the future do or there's fighting so that they can have these luxuries you could have some real like intense stories that way and you could very much then change up actors and have new people come in new dynamics um, that is very much my kind of idea. Controversial, cool. yes, to get rid of the Doctor, but I don't know if you agree with that, folks. I mean, please, like, drop your opinions onto this chat, like, what you think of our ideas. Would you Would you greenlight us? Would you uh, ask us to change anything? I'm going to drop my really idea on you right now. Don't you touch my Doctor. <laughs> oh, there's the controversy. Hashtag, hashtag, full era is not canon. <laughs> <laughs> e 
Can I just say, uh, my second pick for the Doctor, which I didn't say, is uh, actually an uh, actor who's appeared in Doctor Who already, which obviously isn't uh, something uh, before, is uh, Tania, Mil- Tania Miller, who uh, is an amazing actor. She's been in Years and Years, which is a fantastic uh, show from Russell T. Davis, and also mm-hmm. been in um, Haunting a Blind Manor, which is a really good show as well. Yeah, sorry, quick technical hitch there. Uh, I believe I accidentally just kicked, clicked the uh, cross sign there. I carried on talking, Robin, so uh, I was just saying that uh, she's a really amazing actor who has been in uh, Years and Years and Haunting a Blind Man are really good. Already in Doctor Who played the General, uh, who regenerated. He was the first character we ever saw actually saw regenerate from a man into a woman, which was very cool. Brilliant actress, just phenomenal. I'd either cast her or Adrian Lester, like I said before. Okay, so, my controversial things here now, okay? First one, I'm going to chuck at you, okay? It's not the Black Guardian, it's the villain, okay? It's not in that not in that series. Not the Black Guardian, it's the villain at all. The first episode ends, right? And the Doctor disappears in the TARDIS. And as he disappears in the TARDIS, we see the actual image of the, like, the normal shot transfer into what looks like it being on a television screen in a darkly lit office. We see a character in shadow lean back and place a sand shoe or converse up onto the desk. Episode ends. Okay. Through the series, we get a few more little things like this where the Doctor is obviously being spied on by someone. And so, in, in so much so that in episode 11, before the two-parter, when we finally see who's in this office, they turn around in their chair, ready to enact their plan. And it looks like the 10th Doctor. Only what? he's older and seems to have a goatee. And uh, basically, it comes down to it that the Metacrisis Doctor has come back from Rose's world, or Pete's world as they call it, and is wanting to come back and take the Doctor's regenerations and become a full-time Lord himself after. Because realising that he had a human life was all well and good, but Rose died... They died, and somehow he carried on living. Somehow he had that Time Lord part, even though he was technically, you know, a human doctor. Mm. And he wants to take the doctor's regenerations for himself now. Oh, that is quite a controversial thing. I mean, so, I like it. So I you really have, like it. You have David Tennant coming in as the Valyard, which is a little one for uh, old classic who... Uh, uh, fans as well you have him come in there to be the antagonist in the last two episodes of the series oh i mean i know a lot of fans will raise the pitchforks and be like no he had a happy ending don't take that away from him don't make him the bad guy but at the same time it's like come on mm-hmm. the excuse to bring david tennant back and, and have ha- him play that bad guy role. and have him in a goatee as well you know just to prove that he's evil, Just yeah. Because pr- he has to be evil, you know, because he can only be evil <laughs> if he's British and has a goatee, you know. Um, my other controversial pick is that 
you do a big reveal of who the new Doctor is going to be. You do one of those big shows like we had when Peter Capaldi was announced and different things like that. And it's a live show. And when it comes to finally release, to release, showing who the Doctor is, two actors step out. Oh. Okay. And everyone's like, what? What's going on? And it turns out the next series is going to feature two, two Doctors. One of them being very, like I say, traditional doctory potentially one being a lot more that ends justify the means like my adrian lester doctor and we they meet maybe partway through the series in the multi-doctor crossover each uh, each episode would flip-flop between doctors okay so you'd have like doctor a in episode one doctor b in episode two and on like that and then midway through the series they meet in an episode and they meet again in the finale it's revealed that the Doctor that is far more Doctory is actually the Master. Oh. And some sort of scheme has required him to pretend to be the Doctor all this time. Okay? Really? Okay, yes. not, not what I thought you were going to do with that. My other one is that I keep my original pitch pretty much for the most part, except for there's no Black Guardian involved, okay? The last two episodes are not a Cyberman Civil War two-parter. Episode 11 ends with the companions going through the TARDIS and finding a room that was previously wasn't they didn't know was there before. It's like it's strange because it's on the way to their own quarters. They go to investigate and find a cell. Now, obviously, before this, I said I'd want maybe like a five-year gap and we wouldn't see the regeneration episode. In my original pitch, I'd probably have a flashback uh, episode in series two where we see the regeneration and we could have the past actor come back. Let's say Jodie Whittaker or whoever takes over from her is the Doctor that leaves and Doctor Who finishes for a bit, okay? The companions enter this cell. And who's in the cell? Jodie Whittaker or... The doctor that takes over. Oh, you're putting a mad eye moody on us. They spin around. And the doctor they thought was there looks down and gives a sadistic smile. We've seen more twinges of sadistic nature from him for episodes where he sent his companions back to the TARDIS, let's say, for an episode. And even though he's won the day, took the kill. So people are like, what's going on? This is not the doctor. Very much more sinister. He looks down, he looks up and goes, Oh, it's so nice that we can be ourselves now. Eh, hey, Doctor? Call me by my name. You know I love it when you do that. And then just and the Doctor just goes, Run! It's the Master. So all through the series... Yeah, all through that <laughs> series, it's been the master. Mike dropped. Mike dropped, yeah. Oh. Wow. No, I I love it. I, I think, think that has so much, like, you give the fans what they what they want, but then at the same time, you, you twist it. You give it to them something completely different, something that they're not expecting. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that change or doing something that the fans aren't expecting or aren't asking for can end up giving 
fantastic results. Oh, absolutely. And I think I was really sort of inspired by what you were saying last week about having a, a spin-off show dedicated to the Master or to Missy. So why not give the Master the main show? You know? And obviously as well, you know, I'd have this first series and then hopefully have spin-off material like the MCU and stuff like that, which would be really cool. But, yeah. Sorry, Robin's just there, just choking on his water. Don't, uh, you know, don't worry too much about him, guys. You okay, man? And I'm back. (laughs) I could have carried on there and not mentioned it all, but I was worried that you were going to start regenerating on me. (laughs) I tell you what, if I'm going to regenerate, can I have a better memory? That's the only thing I want. (laughs) Well, man, I... I'm really impressed with us. I'm really impressed by your pictures in particular. I really enjoyed Thank that. Thank you. I I think we've come up with some fantastic ideas. Mm-hmm. I I know suggesting a Doctor Who series without the Doctor is a bit of a a bit of a gamble. Um, but it's something that I think could have merit, um, or at least could be an interesting spin off series at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it really interesting that we chose very similar doctors um or like actors that play them because i think both of those actors have done so much good stuff and i think they've also played very similar characters mm-hmm. in the past and um because i haven't watched luther but i've i've heard that luther is an absolute phenomenal suit it is and luther as a character is really compelling as well really really good it's a really good show if you ever want to watch. It's f- phenomenal. And as I said before, for those who are listening, like, please like, give us your opinions on what you thought on our, our opinions, whether you'll yeah. um, cry out and say, yes, you've done it, you've brought back Doctor Who, or whether you'll be the ones uh, tying us up to the logs to set a blaze, but... Uh, it's really funny. I know I said to you about uh, getting death threats. I feel like out of the two of us, I feel like my just last my controversial ones there. I'd be getting the death threats. I think for, <laughs> for pulling I, I, that I, bait and switch. You know, I don't know because yeah, that's a bait and switch. But me, I've I've taken away the the star. So wow. I don't know. Is that going to be like our first questionnaire of like which one are you sending to the gallows? For <laughs> <this>? <laughs> yeah. Um. I had initially planned for us to then sort of meld our ideas and pitch a series together and think about it, but I think we're running for time now. I think maybe that could be a future episode even where we just sort of riff on each other and create a new series both together, you know? You know what? How about we do that for next week? Whilst it's still fresh in our head? I think that'd be really cool. I'm going to say it now. Is there something new, something different, which uh, would which be really cool? Have a historical figure as a companion. And we'll build on that next week. You know, you could do a lot with that. Yeah. Um, and I'm surprised they have... Have they done that before? Have they... Big Finish, they've done... There was actually a trilogy of uh, Eighth Doctor audios where Mary Shelley, author of Frankenstein, and basically the mother of really? all science fiction, was a companion to the Doctor. So I love that. Yeah. She would, and that makes so much sense for her to be inspired by those. Oh, and do you know what's really cool? Her first story is called The Silver Turk. And it features the Cybermen. So the Cybermen basically inspire Frankenstein. I love that. 
So cool, I, huh? That is genius, and that is a great way of incorporating the past with Doctor Who monsters. Amen. Amen. Exactly right. Um, before we leave you, Robin, I have one final piece of trivia or Doctor Who knowledge I'd like you to know. Every week I bring to uh, the play something called uh, Canon Buster, in which I like to prove that canon does not exist within Doctor Who and there are just crazy mental things. Okay. Okay, so Robin, this week I've cheated a little bit because it's not so much a, it's not so much a continuity thing. It's more of a interesting happenstance within Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Okay. Um, I'm going to quote Phineas and Ferb here, uh, Robin. I'm going to do my best <laughs> uh, Doofenshmirtz uh, uh, <clears throat> in uh, impersonation here. So I'm going to start off. <clears throat> a platypus. Very a platypus. Okay, now here we go. Okay. <clears throat> Um, if I had a nickel for every time that happened, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot. But it's interesting that it happened twice. <laughs> Robin, if I were to tell you that an actor would appear in some form of Doctor Who as a character which shot the Doctor and then became the Doctor was something that happened twice within Doctor Who, would you believe me? Yes, because I know that um, Capodi, his first um, appearance was in the, uh, what's it called? Fires Pom- of Pompeii, yeah. Pompeii. I was going to say Bombay, and it's like, no, no, that's completely different. That's, yeah, that's wrong, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just no, just no. Um, but I, is the second time um, Martha... No, it's a, we're actually, we're, I'm talking about two actors that appeared within a Doctor Who story and then went on to become the Doctor. Oh, okay. So I know Capaldi, so, but who's the other one? No, because it's two actors that actually shot the Doctor in their first um, appearance. Capaldi doesn't try and shoot the Doctor. It's two oh, actors oh, I that see what actually, you mean. as the characters, shot the uh, Doctor. Which, again, obviously, you know, like I say, it's... You know, it's, if I had two nickels, you know, I felt like I'd have two nickels, which, and it, which isn't a lot, but it's interesting that it happened twice. First being that Colin Baker actually appeared in a Doctor Who story called Arkham Infinity First, which is a Peter Davison story, a few Ooh. years before he was cast as the Sith Doctor. Okay? okay. In which he plays a character called... Um, what's it called? I can't try to remember what it's called. I'm trying to find it now. I think it's Maxell, a uh, Time Lord, uh, actually, who, at one point, like I say, shoots the Doctor with a Staser gun. Really? Yeah. And then a couple of years later, when Peter Davison is leaving, they cast Colin Baker as the Doctor. So interesting, yeah. Fair. Oh, okay, okay. So he appeared in a previous story and he shot the Doctor. Cool. In a Big Finish audio called Cold It's, which I'm sure, as you can imagine, is set at Cold It's Castle. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a seventh Doctor story featuring Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred as Ace as well. A young actor who would go on to appear in Doctor Who as our favourite Doctor... David Tennant. ...made his first appearance in anything Doctor Who. Playing the Nazi, um, Kurtz, he shoots the Doctor in the shoulder with a normal gun. 
And obviously, that's interesting because Colin Baker shoots the fifth Doctor and, you know, becomes the Doctor. David Tennant shoots the Doctor and some years later becomes the Doctor. So if I'm following your train of thought correctly, Jack, is all we have to do now is for one of us to shoot the Doctor and then in a few years' time... One of us will eventually become the Doctor. Absolutely. It's funny here. I'm actually looking at the uh, TARDIS data core notes on the Ark of Infinity, which is a fifth Doctor story, like I said. And uh, Colin Baker apparently actually jokes that while filming the scene while Commander uh, Maxil shoots the Doctor, he was gunning for Peter Davison's part. And, you know, (laughs) Davison claimed that Baker actually enjoyed that scene a little bit too much. Oh, that's that's great, and to know that that has happened twice of all circumstances. It's just weird, isn't it, to think mm. that, again, like I say, you know, just to quote it a third time, you know, if I had a nickel for every time the Doctor shot himself and then became the Doctor, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is an awesome fact, and I have to say... These are one of my favourite moments of the show. It's just these random facts. Well, I know this is not so much a continuity thing, but it's just a sort of a funny thing, which I just thought, you know, I, I wanted to mention, really. <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I hope that a lot of our listeners are hearing this for the first time as well. Absolutely, yeah. And well, look at us. We've gone on for over two hours now, man. Oh. I guess we better wrap things up as, as much as I've enjoyed talking to you. Uh, I know we've both got lives, weirdly. Weirdly enough, plus um, I'm surprised that people have been listening to us for two hours. Only. At least I hope oh, they, they have they, done. They, face it, they, probably should, they probably switched off after the first ten minutes of the first episode, but you know. <laughs> no, no, no. They switched off once um, I said to get rid of the Doctor and you said to do the switch. You know, yeah. that's it for us. That's probably it, yeah. Well, anyway, um, thank you anyone that has listened to or hit download. Anyone. <laughs> you know, this will be within our first batch of episodes that we post uh, when we actually get our stuff together and get stuff up. So thank you for listening to this. Um, Robin, thank you as always for joining me. Uh, it's been a terrific night, mate. Thank you for including me as well. No, really good. I've really enjoyed this episode. I, I feel like we've had some good stuff happen in this. So, Yeah. <laughs> It'll be good to continue this conversation next week. Absolutely, yes. Join us uh, next week or next time as we discuss our joint pitch for Doctor Who, where we'd both be sat in that boardroom, sort of shaky hands as we drank our water, trying to pitch <laughs> our views for the show, which would be very cool. But apart from that, this has been an awful lot of running, the unofficial, official Doctor Who podcast. Thank you all. Goodbye now. Good night.